Well, if you now turn in your Bibles, we will be reading uh, scriptures from Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24 is where we'll have our scripture reading this morning. Luke chapter 24. We'll begin in verse 1. Our scripture text will come from the book of John, however. So if you put your finger in John chapter 21, that's where we'll be turning later on. But Luke chapter 24 tells us about the resurrection. It reads this way. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Let's bow in a word of prayer together. Our God, what a joyous account of the resurrection of your Son, for we have come to worship and celebrate. Open our eyes, O God, that we might see great and mighty things from thy word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I know a number of you have joined us from the children's ministry, and we're glad that we can worship together as families. And I'm glad that you've joined us for... for, uh, for this Easter service. Now I'd like to find out how many of you are usually in the back in Sunday school. How many of you are usually in the back in Sunday school? Alright, good. I can see your hands. Now I have another question for you. How many of you like McDonald's? Raise your hand. Oh, that's even higher. Okay, great. McDonald's. You know, I was going through McDonald's. The drive-thru... The drive How many of you know what the drive-thru is? Hmm? Those of you kids? Good. I'm glad. You know what the drive-thru is. And you like McDonald's. I was going through McDonald's just last week. And I got into a conversation with the drive-thru lady. And we started talking. And she asked how my day was. And I asked how her day was. And I was dressed up. And I asked her what she was doing for Easter. And this is where I need a little help. What do you think her answer was? What do you think her answer was? Can anybody maybe suggest what was she? What do you think she was doing for Easter? Um, working there. Oh, yeah, that would be horrible if she had to work McDonald's on Easter. But <laughs> almost. In fact, if anybody knows, I have a little prize here I'd like to give to them. Anybody know? Oh, more hands. Well, I saw these hands back here first. So, what do you think that she said she was going to be doing for Easter? Like, like I thought. I think that she said, like, she doesn't even know about Easter. Uh, almost. Good answer. Some people might not, but she knew about Easter. Okay. Let's see. We have this little girl over here. (laughs) What do you think this lady at the drive-thru said she was doing for Easter? Um, She's going to have an Easter egg hunt. That's right. Here you go. 
she said she was going to go on an Easter egg hunt. And that's for you for Easter. Happy Easter to you, Lilia. Well, you know, an Easter egg hunt is very common. In fact, many people celebrate Easter by going on an Easter egg hunt. Many people around our community, to many people, Easter is no more than little rabbits, no more than chocolate candies, no more than marshmallow peeps, no more than things like perhaps just another holiday. I tried to invite another person another uh, physician that I had seen just last week as well and I asked him what is he doing for Easter and he said I'm going away I'm going away with my kids we're going to go out to this really beautiful place where we can have a vacation that's to them what Easter was about Easter there's all sorts of things going on as well Easter there are Easter brunches there are Easter luncheons for many people Easter is little more than another holiday on the calendar and good sales for stores, etc. But you know what? For Christians, it's a whole different story, isn't it? For those who believe in Christ, Easter is all about celebrating the resurrection of Christ. In fact, it is the core, it is the core of our Christian faith. In fact, Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is also in vain. And so the story of Easter is this, that Jesus, the Son of God, came to this earth to die for your sins and for mine. And on the third day, he was raised from the dead. And because he was raised from the dead, we have hope, hope of life, hope after death, hope of joy and the free gift that God gives to anyone who would place their faith and their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But for us, perhaps, maybe you've heard that story before. And you ask the question, well, what difference really does Easter make? What difference does the resurrection make? And so for that, we'll turn to John chapter 21. Let's look in your Bibles to John chapter 21. Because there were some disciples of Jesus that came. And I'm going to tell you the story and tell you about what difference it made to them. Because to these disciples... At first off, it really didn't make any difference. The resurrection didn't make a difference to them at all. And Christ teaches them two lessons. One, that Christ will provide. And second, their commitment was to be full and total. So here are these disciples in chapter 21. And by the time we come to chapter 21, Jesus had already been crucified on the cross for our sins. Jesus had already been raised from the dead. And Jesus had told these disciples to go to Galilee and to wait for him on this mountain. Here's what Peter says, verse 2. Simon Peter and Thomas and all of his buddies there. And it says in verse 3, Peter said to them, I am going fishing. I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will also come with you. Now, perhaps you might know someone, perhaps your relative or friend, likes to go fishing on Sunday. Especially since fishing season is around this time of year. They like to go fishing on Sunday. Well, for Peter, he knew that Jesus had commanded him to go on this mountain and to wait for him. He had seen the resurrected Lord and here he was going to go fishing. And this wasn't some relaxing fishing trip. This wasn't some uh, weekend getaway just for relaxation, just for fun. It was going to be different. No, this was something else. For them, if you put yourself in their shoes, 
They had come to a time in their life when they had been discouraged and had rejected the, the certain things and they had failed Christ many times over. They were actually going back to their old ways. They were going back to their old job. They were going back to what they knew how to do. And they said there that we're going to go. And so they went on a boat, a particular boat, maybe even Peter's boat, indicated by the definite article there. We think about Peter and what he has been through. There's a good chance here that he and the disciples were very discouraged. Not very happy with their Christian, quote-unquote, life. Their following of Christ. You see, Peter was an impulsive apostle. He was always one who had stuck his foot in his mouth. He was always one who said things that perhaps later on he never lived up to. He said to Jesus, I'll, I'll die with you. Then he would flake away later on. He denied Christ three times. Or all of the disciples that were with him, when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane before his death, he was praying and the soldiers came. And when the soldiers came, the disciples left. They felt perhaps they were a disappointment. And even here, Christ had told them, wait for me on this mountain. They decided they were going to go back to what they knew how to do. And that was fish. The Bible says they fished, what? All night. That night, verse 3, they caught nothing. Now, I don't know about you, but it doesn't take me all night to get discouraged when I go fishing. It only takes me a couple of hours, especially when I'm on the dock and this person here and that person here is reeling in fish. After a couple of hours, I get really discouraged. After all night... They've caught nothing. And at sunrise, the text says that Jesus was standing on the shore. He didn't let them know who he was. And he says to them, children, you do not have any fish, do you? Do you? They answered him, no. He said, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat and you will find a catch. You will find a catch. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were an experienced fisherman, which I'm not, but if I had had that as a life profession until the time Jesus came, and there this man was out on the shore, and I'd been fishing all night long and had caught nothing, and he says, why don't you cast your net on the other side of the boat? You'll catch something then. I'd think to myself, who is that guy? What does he know? Well, what did they do? Perhaps they felt, what have we got to lose? And they cast their net on the other side of the boat and says that they had so many fish they were not able to haul it in because of the great number. And the man in the boat knew. John knew first, it says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. It says he looked out there and he said, it's the Lord. And John was characteristic of his spiritual eyesight when he would be able to see things first. Peter was the more impulsive, though. And he threw on his cloak and he jumped in the water. And here it was, you see, this was in the Sea of Tiberias, it says in verse 1. Sea of Tiberias is also known as the Sea of Galilee. This wasn't some small lake. It wasn't like Beaver Lake or Pine Lake. It wasn't even like Lake Washington. This was a lake the size of a sea, approximately twice as large as Lake Washington is. And Peter jumps in there about a hundred yards from shore and he begins swimming to the Lord. There when he gets to the shore, there's Jesus with a charcoal fire. There's Jesus 
with breakfast ready for them. There's Jesus with bread and fish and the other disciples are paddling their way in. And I would venture to guess, as the scriptures say, that no one dared, none of the disciples, verse 12, none of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? Probably very quiet. Probably very ashamed that Jesus had asked them to do this one thing, to wait for him. And what did they do? They said, you know what, we're going to go and... Go back to our old job. We'll go back to our old way. We'll go back to what we know. And Jesus, in his appearance here at the shore, taught them one lesson that was overarching here in this section. Is that without God, without God, it doesn't really matter how gifted you are, how experienced you are, how smart you are, or how successful you are. Without God, you will not be blessed. For it is God who blesses and it is God who provides. It is God who provides. In their discouragement, they went back to their old profession, taking things into their old hands, perhaps. Living and relying upon what they themselves knew how to do. After all, they had failed Christ in the past and Christ would often rebuke them, saying, Oh, you of little faith, they had failed again. There were no fish to catch. And now they were being confronted by the Lord. And maybe you can relate to these disciples. Perhaps things have worried or caused you to be anxious. Maybe you have somehow failed in your own life. Maybe there are difficult times and makes you think that you want to take things into your own hands and live off of what you know. There are many people these days in our society that are very worried. In fact, in Seattle Times, there was a newspaper article just last Thursday entitled, quote, Economic Stress Hits Even If You've Got a Job. Anne Hubbard has not lost her job, house, or savings. She and her husband are conservative with money. But Hubbard, a graphic designer in Cambridge, Massachusetts, began having panic attacks over the economy a few months ago, struggling to breathe and seeing vivid visions of losing everything. She, quote, could not stop reading every single economic report and was so sick to my stomach I lost 10 pounds, she said, and was unable to function. For the first time, Hubbard, 52, began taking psychiatric medication and getting therapy. With economic damage expected to last months or years, such reactions are becoming common, experts say. Anxiety, depression, and stress are troubling people everywhere. Many not suffering significant economic losses, but worrying they will, or simply reacting to pervasive uncertainty, unquote. Panic attacks and worry and anxiety... Those who are counselors are seeing a greater number of individuals who come because of the situation our country and our world are in. People would like to know that everything is going to be the same and stable. And yet there are people who have these anxieties and difficulties, particularly those who are in charge of great responsibilities, perhaps those who would like to know everything that is going on, perhaps those who would like to have a high degree of control. 
Some people worry all the time and they're anxious continuously. And they are anxious and tense and it causes conflict and it causes strife and arguments and, and fights and all sorts of things that come into one's life. When we allow our lives to be controlled by fear rather than by faith, when we're motivated by our fears, which can be a very powerful motivator, rather than by our faith in God and trust in God. But the scriptures tell us, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Or Isaiah, who says, He whose mind... He will keep him in perfect peace. He whose mind is stayed on thee. When we trust in a sovereign God, when we trust in a God who is in control, then we can have freedom. Freedom to have joy. Freedom from anxiety. Freedom from worry. And freedom from trying to take our situation in our own hands and saying, you know what, I'm going to go back to fishing because I've disappointed not only God but so many others. Maybe you can relate to these disciples. In these times, people have turned to get-rich-quick schemes. They've turned to gambling. They've turned to old habits that they've had. They've turned to old interests, anything from alcohol to economic fraud of various types. We no longer have joy. We decide that... We want to take things into our own hands and live our own life. And the lesson for these disciples is that Jesus has commanded we are to follow and Jesus will provide. We need to trust and let go. The second thing that Jesus tells them is in his confrontation of Peter. For he calls them to a full commitment. Not only that he'll provide, but if he provides, he will take care of us when we come to a full commitment to him. The account goes on. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, it's interesting when he says Simon, son of John, because why? He named him Peter. Now, how many of you kids here, I want to ask you a question. How many of you kids here... When your mom or dad, whoever's taking care of you, when you're in big trouble, they call you by something else. How many of you hear a different name? I am. My mother told me this morning when I, she happened to call asking me about something else. I said, Mom, you know, I was thinking about this passage this morning. This is Simon, son of John. Normally he's called Peter. Mom, did you used to call me something else when I was a kid? She says, yes. When I was really furious with you, I would call you Joseph Lum <laughs> or Joey Lum. She said, I'd add the last name for emphasis and I'd emphasize the last name. I said, oh, thanks, Mom. Happy Easter to you, too. <laughs> That's what he says here. Simon, son of John, because he was going to be rebuked. Peter acted like his old self, and when he did, Jesus called him Simon. Jesus says this, and watch the play on words. Jesus says this. He says, do you love me more than these? And the reference to the word these is all of his fishing gear. 
Do you love me? And when he says love, he says agapao. It is the unconditional love of choice. The highest of loves. Do you love me? In the highest term, more than these. And when Peter responds, Peter uses a different word for love. He says, yes, Lord, I phileo you, or I love you like a brother. I can see Peter looking downward, not being able to use the word that is the high and lofty love that Christ asks of him. He says, I love you like a brother. So Jesus asks him again, Peter, do you love me with an unconditional love? Peter says, Yes, Lord, I love you like a brother. The third time Jesus asks him, breaks Peter's heart because Jesus switches his term. And he says, Peter, do you even love me like a brother? Phileo. And Peter responds and he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus says, tend my sheep. And that's the question that is posed to us as well. When we say we love God, do we love Him? Because when Jesus asked Peter, Peter says colloquially, I like you a lot. Jesus says, do you love me unconditionally? I like you a lot, Lord. Jesus says, do you even like me a lot? Do you love Jesus? Do you love Christ? Do you love God more than anything else? That is what the resurrected Christ said to Peter. The greatest commandment in all the Bible, if you were to obey one commandment, the greatest is this, that you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. Do you love the Lord more than you love Father, mother, son, daughter, are you willing to follow him? Each time Jesus would say, tend my sheep, tend my lambs, because he was telling Peter, love me. Love me with all of your heart. And here is your responsibility to look after the people that are my sheep. The second aspect of God's calling to full commitment is not only a full love for Him, but we ask ourselves, are we willing to sacrifice ourselves for Christ? And in verse 18, He says, Truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hand and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this He said, signifying what kind of death would glorify God. You see, Jesus looked into the future of Peter and he saw what would happen to Peter and he said to Peter, Peter, when you were young and now you can go wherever you want to go. But later on, Peter, someone will lead you because you will suffer for my name's sake and you will die for my name's sake. And history tells us that Peter spent the next 30 years serving the Lord. And in the end, he was crucified like his Lord Jesus was on the cross, according to tradition. 
And yet he didn't feel that he was worthy to be crucified in the same way. And so tradition tells us that Peter was crucified upside down on the cross. The call to commitment, the call that Christ gives is one of self-sacrifice, of one that asks us to be willing to give of our lives to Him. It may not be that we would ever die for our Lord Jesus, but it calls us to sacrifice because Christianity is not some self-help movement. It's not some self-improvement program. It's not about me. It's not about the, the, the things that I can get. It's a call to serve, to sacrifice, to give for the sake of people, for the sake of God. Not only were we called to sacrifice, not only were we called to love, we were called to follow. Will we follow Christ wherever He leads? And this He had spoken in verse 19. He said, follow me. And what does Peter do? In verse 20, look at that. He looked, turned around. He saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, and that's a reference to John, following him. The one who had also leaned back on his bosom and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So Peter said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? He had just been called by Jesus to that, that he was going to suffer and die for the Lord. And what? He looks out and he says, John, well, what about that guy? And that's what we often do, isn't it? Just like Peter, you and I have such a tendency to compare ourselves to others. How come they don't serve as much? How come they're not asked to do that? How come, how come why is it me that, 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 that always has to serve or volunteer or whatever? Or I'm not such a bad person. I'm not a drug dealer or I'm not a, I'm not a person who is a criminal. I'm not a thief. I'm not anything really bad. And we compare ourselves to others are not, not realizing that the call to you and I is to follow Christ. That the standard we have is the standard of Christ. That is the standard that is there. Not to compare ourselves to others. Not to worry about what Jesus is calling others to do. What a shame it is, I think to myself, when we begin thinking that way. We begin to think and say, well, what about them? Rather than saying, what a privilege it is. What a privilege it is to serve. What a privilege it is to give. What a privilege it is to sacrifice. And to say, as Paul said in Philippians 3.10, that I might know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship and sharing in His sufferings. Becoming like Him in His death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Do you ever wish that? That I might know and share in the sufferings of Christ. That I might know and have the privilege of being able to sacrifice for the Lord who gave His life for me. That I might live. That I might do the same for others. And we sing that song we do in our worship. We sing, Lord, I lift up my life to You. Everything, I will do it. Do it for Your glory. Lord, I offer my days to You, lifting my praise to You as a living sacrifice. Lord, I offer my life. So when God calls and He calls us to a life of blessing, 
If we don't compare with others, we say to ourselves, what a privilege it is to give, what a privilege it is to share, that I might be a part of someone else's joy, that I might be a blessing to other people, rather than saying, that's not fair, why do I have to do this, or whatever it might be. What a blessing it is when we share with one another, when we give to one another, when we encourage one another, when we can bless someone else so that they might see Christ in us. That Christ in His resurrection makes a difference in my life and I can make a difference in someone else's life for the sake of the Lord Jesus. So what difference does the resurrection make? Christ reminds us He'll provide for us. We don't need to go back to our old ways. And He calls us to be fully committed to Him. Do you love Christ? Are you willing to sacrifice yourself? Are you willing to follow Christ wherever He may go? Maybe you're here this morning and you've never made that decision You've never made that decision to become a Christian. You've heard the news. You've been to perhaps an Easter service before. You've heard about how Christ has risen from the dead. But you've never prayed to God and asked God, God, I believe in your Son and who He is. That He died on the cross for my sins so that I can be forgiven. God, forgive me for my sin. Help me to turn from living my own life and give to me the free gift of eternal life. God wants to give that to you. It's a free gift. It doesn't cost you anything. All it means is that you place your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But you've got to ask of Him. You've got to ask of Him. And that is the hope no matter what you have done in the past doesn't matter. You don't have to clean up your entire life too. You can turn your life over to Christ and Christ will bless you. I just read recently, as you know, there have been a number of tragic things that have happened in our country in the past month. There was a pastor named Fred Winters out in the First Baptist Church of Maryville, Illinois. A little over one month ago from today, March 8th, 2009, during a Sunday service, a young man came to that pastor and shot him to death. A week after that accident, his wife, Cindy Winters, appeared on CBS's early show and she was interviewed by Julie Chen. And when Cindy was asked about her husband's killer, Terry, she spoke these words, a message that is very fitting for Easter. She said, quote, I do not have any hatred or even hard feelings towards him. We have been praying for him. One of the first things that my daughter said to me after all this happened was, quote, you know, I hope that he comes to learn to love Jesus through all of this. Unquote. We're not angry at all and we really firmly believe that he can find hope and forgiveness and peace through this by coming to know Jesus. And we hope that that happens for him. Unquote. 
And believe it or not, that is God's hope for you as well. That is God's hope for you, that you would know Jesus, who died on the cross so that you could have freedom. Freedom from anxiety, freedom from fear, freedom from worry. Freedom to have a joyful, fulfilled life. Freedom to be a person who was blessed and can bless others. But it requires a commitment. A commitment to follow Jesus. A commitment to Christ. God has called us to place our faith and our trust in Him. If we would believe and have a willingness to turn from living our own way to following Him, we will have that gift of eternal life, which is held out for all who would come to Him. For Jesus says, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the message of Easter. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come before your throne of grace. And, O God, you know all things. You know each and every heart that is here. You know each and every child that is yours. And, Father, this morning, perhaps there are some here that have never made that decision to turn their life over to you, to place their faith and trust in you. I pray, O God, as we bow our heads, that you would draw them to yourself. And that, Father, in this next minute of silence, that they would call upon you, asking for forgiveness and that free gift of eternal life. If you've never prayed to ask the Lord to save you from your sin, I'd encourage you to do so. Take the opportunity today and receive that free gift of eternal life. Take that opportunity now. Call upon God as God works in your heart. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would shower your blessings upon us that we might bless others, living a life of full commitment to you. In Jesus' most precious name, amen.